Hello, relatable listeners. I hope everyone is having a wonderful day so far and enjoying your summer. If you are out of school, yay for you. If you are working full time, as I'm sure most of you are, yay for you. I hope that you can still enjoy the pool and fun summer activities on the weekends. That was like the worst part of starting my job after college is realizing that I don't have time to lay out. And so I'm just going to be perpetually pale all year round. Um, That's okay. You get used to it. If you're just now realizing that, if this is like your first summer out of college and you realize, oh my gosh, I have no time to go to the pool. It's okay. You will live through it. All right. Today, what we're talking about is women in the church. I have gotten lots of questions about this. The question typically is, can women be pastors? Is it okay for women to be pastors? Or a more specific question, is it okay for uh, women to teach men in the church? So first, we are going to look at the verses that are typically cited when we are having this discussion and they happen to be two of the most controversial verses when this subject is brought up. And that is 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 12, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. 1 Corinthians 14, 34, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should be kept silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Yes, the Bible really does say these things. Now, women, let us be real with ourselves. This, by the way, is not just an episode for women. It's an episode for men too, who want to know, okay, is it right for a woman to be a pastor, etc. But I'm especially speaking to women because I am a woman and I know, I know the reaction that you might get when you hear these verses that kind of makes us bristle just a little bit. Uh, I can't assume what happens to you when you read those verses. Maybe you read them or hear them and you're like, yeah, totally fine. That makes a lot of sense to me. That's great. That is awesome that that is your first reaction. And I genuinely mean that my first reaction as a, you know, sinfully prideful person, that would be my, um, that would probably be my sinful or that is my sinful disposition to try to take control of things and to assume that I'm completely self-sufficient. So my fleshly reaction is one of defensiveness. When I read that, I don't like that. It's shameful for a woman to speak in the church. I'm supposed to be submissive what? I'm to remain quiet in the church? When am I ever quiet? I mean, I speak for a living. I've been talking since I was like age two. I'm a better talker than most men that I know. What are, what are you saying that I can't speak in the context of the church? That doesn't make any sense to me and my prideful flesh. Um, I'm an outspoken person. If you haven't noticed that so far, I am confident on stage. I also have a gift of teaching and I don't mean that in any kind of braggadocious way. There are so many gifts that I do not have. I could spend a whole podcast telling you the things that I am horrible at. Like I wasn't that great at school growing up except for two, maybe one subject because I'm bad at a lot of things. I've never been just one of those people that's great at everything. I am good at very few things. But one of the gifts that I have been given, I I think, at least I hope so. I hope all of you aren't rolling your eyes and thinking, wow, no, you don't. But 
I've had this affirmed in different areas of my life. One gift that I do have is being able to explain things pretty well. Not always, not in every single case, but that is a gift that God has given me. So I, if I'm talented in teaching in some ways, and I'm talented in encouragement, I'm in talented in exhortation, I'm talented in getting up on stage. What do you mean, God, that in the in the role of or in the context of the church that I am not allowed to do that. Well, what I have to realize is that God is sovereign, that God made me, that he gave me my gifts. He gave me what I am good at and what I am bad at. And he knows my strengths. He knows my weaknesses. He knows uh, my insecurities. He knows what I'm confident in. He gave me a gift for public speaking. He gave me a gift for teaching. He knows how much I excel in these things. He gave me uh, skills. He gave me my love for learning more about the Bible and helping other people learn it too. And he also knows exactly all of the many, many, many things that I am terrible at. He knows all of these things. And yet, and yet his word is timeless and true. Uh, therefore, therefore, these verses apply just as much to me as they do to anyone else at any other point in history. Because the fact of the matter is, when I read those verses and I have a negative reaction and I start pumping myself up and I say, well, I think I'm, I'm a better speaker. I'm a better teacher. I'm, I know more about the Bible than this person who got to stand up and teach in church or this pastor or this teacher or this guy who stood behind the pulpit. I could do that better. That's pride. Plain and simple, that is pride, that is arrogance. And there is no place for pride when I am reading the word of God, which tells me that I am deficient, but that God is sufficient. So like I said, God knows everything about me. He made me. He knows exactly who I am, what I have a propensity to do, what my strengths are, what my weaknesses are. And he tells me this in his word. And so instead of me saying, whoa, 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 my talents are bigger and better than God. My knowledge is bigger bigger and better than God. I know what to do better than God does. And maybe this is just culturally irrelevant today. I need to take a step back and realize God knows me better than me that his plans are better than mine, that his purpose is better than mine, that his structures and his systems that he has set up are better than mine, that he is wiser than I am, and that I have to trust that his word is what he says it is, which is uh, that it is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says. So I slow my roll. I take a seat. I take a step back and I say, okay, God, you are bigger and better than I am. And in light of that, in light of the sovereignty and the all-knowing nature of God, in light of the inerrancy of his word, in light of my finite understanding, in light of my lowly place in front of the throne of a holy God, I lay down my pride and I say, okay, God, show me. Please give me the wisdom to understand this. Show me how this reflects your goodness and love and your power. Help me grasp this truth so I can obey you better, so I can know you more. Uh, it's okay for us to not understand. It's okay to acknowledge our human reactions uh, to these verses that don't seem to agree with us, as long as our next action is to lay down our feelings at the feet of Jesus and say, not my will, but your will be done. So that is our posture going into this because I see these verses cited all the time 
by men, but especially by women saying, see, the Bible is oppressive. See, uh, Christianity is oppressive. It's this oppressive patriarchy. And we'll get into that specific argument in a little bit. And I just want you to know that from a human perspective, I get it. I get it. You're speaking to someone who is outspoken. You're speaking to someone who would probably really enjoy being on stage and teaching all of these things. And yet, I am telling us that we have to defer to the word of God. Uh, but the question is, while we defer to the word of God is, is this, God, what, what is God's will in this? What, what do these verses mean? Are these cultural verses to be thrown out? Are they truths that still apply today? What is a woman's role in the church in 2019? What does all of this mean? So we have to take a step back and we have to look again, when we don't know something about scripture, when we disagree with something that has to do with scripture, instead of backing up and assessing our own feelings and validating how we feel, we have to say, okay, feelings, be quiet. Let's see what the word of God says. Uh, if you haven't noticed, as we back up and kind of look at the context of all of this, if you haven't noticed, there has been a movement toward egalitarianism in the evangelical church. So what is egalitarianism? Uh, within Christianity specifically, it's the idea that men and women are free to hold the same positions. Uh, women can be pastors. They can lead men. Uh, the verse often cited for this, uh, not always, but often is Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is nor uh, there is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so egalitarians would say there is radical equality in the church of God. Uh, there is no difference. God does not look at anatomy when choosing who shall lead in the body of Christ. On the other end, typically we see complementarianism, which is uh, the idea that men and women are equal in worth, but they differ in their roles. Uh, now, some would say that this is basically a patriarchy because traditional complementarianism holds that men are still in charge. They're supposed to be the teachers and the pastors, the only ones exercising authority within the church. Uh, okay, maybe so, I would say to that, to people who say that it's a patriarchy. Uh, complementarians don't believe that women can't have any leadership within the church, just that they can't exercise authority over men, uh, as the passages that we read say. So, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this position is that men and women are different. God has given them different roles, different um, strengths to be displayed within the church. Men are to be in a position of teaching adult men and women. They are also the elders. Uh, typically, this means that women can teach children. They can teach other women. Uh, they can have other roles within the church where they are not teaching adult men from scripture. And the verses typically cited are the verses that we already listed at the top. First uh, Timothy 2, 11 through 12. I don't permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. First Corinthians 14, 34, as in all the churches of the saints, the woman should be kept silent or should keep silent in the churches. So what is true? We've got this egalitarian view. And then we also have this complement view. And the egalitarian view is also associated and often associated with Christian feminism, really um, purposely putting women in positions of power. And then, like I said, complementarianism is often associated with what some people call, usually pejoratively, a more patriarchal view. So what is right? Um, well, as we always do in this podcast, as I do in my own study of scripture, when we have passages that seem to our finite minds uh, to contradict one another, rather than throwing them out in favor of the other, uh, we go into scripture, into God's truth to try to reconcile what feels confusing to us. First, 
I need to tell you about Simply Safe. So there was a recent Gallup survey that said uh, that Americans worry more about burglary than they worry about any other crime. And yet, here's the crazy thing, only one in five homes in America have home security. That's crazy, so we worry about it so much, but only one in five homes actually have any kind of system to secure their homes. And that's probably because most companies just make it really complicated. It's just too hard to do, so people don't mess with it. But that is why Simply Safe is such a good option and is so important. So Simply Safe protects your entire home. So that's every window, every room, every door, 24/7 monitoring at a fraction of the cost. Uh, their police dispatch system is up to 3.5 times faster because they use video verification, which is really nice. So you don't have to worry about the police not showing up when you need them. Um, they've won a ton of awards from CNET to the New York Times' wire cutter. Uh, prices with Simply Safe are always really fair and really honest, which is great. You can have peace of mind knowing that. Uh, around the clock monitoring is just $15 a month. $15 a month to make sure that your whole house is secure. That is awesome. So visit simplysafe.com slash You will get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You really have nothing to lose, so go there now. It is simplysafe.com slash Allie, so they know that our show sent you. That is simplysafe.com slash Allie. Uh, so let's first look at these seemingly offensive verses in 1 Timothy and in 1 Corinthians that tell women to be quiet in the church. Uh, the important thing for us is to ask not just what all of these readings mean to us, or really that's not what we ask at all. The question is, what does this mean? Not what does this mean to me, but what does this mean? And to decipher meaning, we have to look at context and we have to look at the entirety of scripture. So let's look at this context for first, uh, first Timothy 2, 11 through 12. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. That's the part, ladies, that really gets us. The remain quiet part. We're like, are, are you sure about that? And a lot of people have said, oh, well, this is just Paul. Paul was a misogynist. This doesn't have to do with God at all. But of course, well, that's not true. Then we just throw out all parts of scripture that are written by Paul. That's a good chunk of the of the New Testament, lady. Um, in this letter and in this chapter in 1 Timothy, Paul is speaking about the church when it is assembled together. So that is the context. As far as we can see in light of the rest of scripture, in light of the original Greek, in light of the context of this letter, uh, he is not talking about authority in general outside of the church. He is talking about when the church is assembled together. He says that women are A, not to teach a man or B, to exercise authority. Some people have argued that it is only authoritative teaching that women are not allowed to do, but, or here denotes that it is teach a man or exercise authority over a man of the church. So that means various positions of authority within the church that is exercised over a man. So that does not include, as we've already talked about, the teaching of children, uh, which is discussed in 2 Timothy 1.5, and this does not include teaching women, uh, like it says in Titus 2.4. It is very specific. Should not teach a man, should not exercise authority over a man in the church. Uh, the arguments against the modern ac application of this verse from uh, Christian egalitarians and Christian feminists are that while this is cultural, women weren't educated uh, back then as they are now. And so they were perpetuating false doctrine. So that's why Paul said that, but that doesn't apply to today. A lot of people would say, but here's the problem with that is that if you keep reading the next verses, Paul actually tells us why. 
He tells us exactly why he says what he said, and it actually has nothing to do with education and nothing to do with false doctrine. So the next verse says, for Adam was formed first then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. So first, we know from this word for that he gives us a reason. And like I said, he doesn't list education. He doesn't list false teaching after that. Uh, There were a lot of highly educated women actually during this time. And all the false teachers that Paul has already listed in uh, some of his letters were men. And so we have really no historical grounding whatsoever, logical grounding, whatever, to believe that. Um, He goes all the way back to creation for his reasoning, which tells us that there is something transcendent rather than something cultural about the roles women are given in the church. Now, why does he say that Adam was formed first as the reason? Because if we go all the way back to Genesis, all the way back to the creation account, we see that God's design for men is different than it is for women, that God created Adam first. He gave him particular responsibilities. And when he saw that it wasn't good for a man to be alone, he made woman. So there are a couple things that we can draw from this creation account in Genesis. Uh, Man was given different and even greater responsibilities than the woman was, but uh, he needed what Genesis calls a helper. The helper was not an accessory, but a necessity. Uh, He could not go it alone. He was given someone to compliment him, to support him, to come alongside him. Uh, The Hebrew word used to describe Eve in Genesis is izer, which means helper. It's used 21 times in the Old Testament. It's often used to describe God. It is used uh, typically in the context of offering life-sustaining or life-saving aid. So again, I will say from the beginning, woman was a necessity to man, not an accessory to man. And... She was also not created at the same time as man in the same way as man or given the same roles as man. So this goes all the way back to the very beginning. That is the reason that Paul cites for why women should not exercise authority over men in the church because it reflects something all the way back to creation. So this has nothing to do with cultural relevance. This has something to do with God's design from the very beginning. So when Paul in 1 Timothy cites Adam as a reason for men exercising authority over women in the church, he is going back to the beginning. Um, Also important to note that Paul in the New Testament often compares Adam to Jesus. Jesus is the new Adam. Romans 5, 18 through 19 calls uh, Jesus, refers to Jesus as the new and better Adam. As Adam brought sin into the world, God or Jesus saved the world from sin. So I want you to follow me for a second. Uh, who does the Bible also say, uh, God through Paul also say is the head of the church? Jesus. Uh, Colossians 1.18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church, says the same thing in Ephesians. Uh, he also uses the headship of Jesus over the church to explain marriage, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So, What can be deduced from that? What can be deduced from all of this in light of scripture, in light of creation, in light of Jesus's headship over the church, that men's teaching and authoritative role in the church is reflective of an order that God ordained in creation and reaffirmed through redemption. Okay, let me say that again. Men's teaching and authoritative role in the church is is reflective of an order that God ordained in creation and reinstated through redemption. 
the same is true for our other, quote, problematic passage that we listed in the beginning. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14.34, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should be, or should keep, I keep saying be kept silent. It's uh, the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. There's that submission word again that so many uh, of us women don't like when we first read it. Uh, now, just a note here, First uh, Corinthians 11, 5 and 13 clearly give women the freedom to both prophesy and to pray in the church. So in light of that, it doesn't seem that Paul is giving a mandate for them to be completely silent all the time, like an absolute prohibition uh, for making any noise. But in the context that he uh, is is talking about, he is likely talking about any kind of talk that is, again, exercising authority or teaching. You have to look at scripture as a whole. You have to look at the book as a whole, the chapter as a whole, and we have to examine the context. Uh, okay, so keep tracking with me. Uh, if you watch, you will notice that the churches that have female pastors nowadays, the churches that believe in this kind of egalitarianism, the so-called Christian feminism, the ones that don't really believe in biblical gender roles, uh, often, though not always, but often they give way on other biblical issues as well. They very often you will see, reject God's view of biblical marriage and embrace gay marriage. So why is that? You could say, because when you start picking and choosing pieces of scripture to fit your own worldview, uh, that all the culturally inconvenient stuff just kind of is left out, which is true. That's true. That is what happens when you base it on what is culturally cool or what your feelings are, what's easy. You kind of just start picking and choosing what is easy for you. So that is true, but it is also bigger than that. It's bigger than that. Uh, we've already seen that the male headship uh, that God through Paul commands is a reflection of creation. And we have also seen in Romans that Jesus is the new and better Adam. And we have also seen that just as Adam was the head of Eve, that Jesus is the head of the church. And just as Jesus is the head of the church, so the husband is the head of the wife. These are all three marriages that reflect a divine dichotomy between husbands and wives from creation to redemption. Furthermore, Ephesians 2.19 and 1 Timothy 3.15 call the church the household of God. So we are a family. The structure of the church is to reflect the structure that God set up for the family, which is that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So if you miss that, if you miss that very real, very purposeful, and very eternal setup of the relationship between men and women in the church, between husbands and wives in Christian marriage, and between Christ and the church, if you miss all of that, that that is a uh, deliberate and reflective uh, spiritual truth, it is easy to see how you would find yourself compromising on the definition of marriage as one between a man and a woman. Um, and then subsequently, consequently, on many other parts of scripture. Uh, that is the kind of interpretation that happens when you assume that verses you don't like are probably unnecessary. That's what happens with that. Uh, that is what happens when you assume that you know better than God. When you replace yourself at the center of the word rather than God, you end up compromising. You end up with really poor theology that is based on whatever you want to base it on. You end up being what Paul describes as just a child being tossed by the waves. Whatever is popular at the time, that's what you base your theology on. Well, that's not what we're called to do. Uh, now, I don't, uh, I don't, gosh, I don't have any patience 
for hearing about there was this tweet thread not that long ago about how uh, Christianity and the Bible really is so patriarchal and or well I shouldn't say that because it's usually used as a pejorative it's not used as a pejorative in the Bible how it is uh, oppressive how it hates women how it denigrates women how it objectifies women uh that is not true the necessity and the value of women is on display throughout scripture from Eve to Sarah to Miriam to Rahab to Deborah to Esther to Ruth to Mary to Martha to Priscilla to Phoebe. I think that's an order I'm not completely sure. But all of these women throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament uh, were of value. They were of purpose. They were used according to God's will to advance his purpose, to advance his kingdom. Women are valuable in the eyes of God. He wouldn't have made women if they weren't. He wouldn't have made them as a necessity rather than as an accessory, what we said earlier, if he didn't think that they were important and valuable and made in his own image. Uh, if we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus locked eyes with the woman caught in adultery. Jesus engaged with the woman at the well. Jesus touched and healed the bleeding woman who was considered unclean that probably no one had touched in years. God loves women. He values women. He made women for a purpose. He made women in his own image. And we as wives in Christian marriage have the privilege of being compared to Christ's bride. Men don't have that same privilege, but we do, which is the church. And you know how husbands are to care for their wives according to this passage in Ephesians 5? Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So there is that dichotomy, that reflection again between marriage, between one husband, between one wife, is reflective of Christ and the church. And what a privilege, what an honor it is to be a Christian wife. What an honor it is. Christ died for his church. And this passage is saying that husbands should treat wives in that same way, that they should lay their lives down for their wife. You want to tell me in light of that, that God doesn't have a high view of women, that God doesn't care about women, that God doesn't rejoice in the unique beauty and the purpose and roles of women. Just look at how much he cares for us. I mean, there's a whole uh, chapter in Proverbs dedicated to a godly Christian wife and woman and what that life looks like. There is so much beauty and joy in being a Christian woman, so much privilege, if you want to use that word, so much honor in being a Christian woman that we get to be co-laborers with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. We get to be co-laborers with Christ. And it's true what Galatians says, 3.28, that there is uh, no male nor female, Jew nor Greek, whatever, etc. And that is true. When we look in light of the rest of scripture, when we look at the context of this verse, we see that that means... Um, when we're talking about participation within the saints, when we're talking about participation in the church, participation in the kingdom of God, when we're talking about our 
uh, value as co-laborers. When we're talking about salvation, there is no distinction, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a specific system, a specific structure, and yes, a specific hierarchy of submission for men and women within the church and within Christian marriage. He does, and it's reflective of a much bigger, a much more eternal reality than the one that we can see, and that's why we don't mess with that. That's we why we don't mess uh, with the with the idea that men are supposed to be the ones exercising authority over women in the church. That's why we don't mess with the idea of a man and a woman being joined in Christian marriage and only a man and a woman being joined in Christian marriage and that the man is the head of the wife because it demonstrates Christ and the church. That is uh, a symbol of the gospel. And that is why you see people who compromise on Christian marriage, who compromise on gender roles, also compromising on different parts of the Bible, because it's not just this physical reality, it's a spiritual reality. So that's why having a right view of women in the church is important. It's much bigger than the politics of the day. It's much bigger than the politics of Paul's day. It has to do with the gospel. Now, when I say it has to do with the gospel, I am not trying to say that this is a salvation issue. Now, I will say that, like I've said, compromising on this typically leads to compromising on other things, or it's typically associated with compromising on other things. But I'm not saying that we can't honestly disagree on this and you're not saved. I'm not saying that it is a, uh, I'm not saying that it's a, that's a salvation issue because it's not, um, But I just want to make the point, the point in this really whole episode that those of you, especially women who like me are initially thrown off, we're initially perturbed. Like we don't really like these verses. We don't really like this idea. The the verses that say that you need to be quiet in church, you can't exercise authority, that you have to submit to your husband. Um, I'm telling you this so that you know that I understand where you're coming from, but we have to take a step back. We have to stop. We have to lay down our pride and remind ourselves of the gospel the beautifully uh, that is beautifully reflected in the hierarchy of the church and of marriage, which was first demonstrated in history in the creation and realize that, wow, thank you. Thank you, God, for doing this for us, that I get to be a part of that, that I am so undeserving to be a part of Christ's church. I am so uh, undeserving of being uh, of playing a role in the kingdom of God. I am so undeserving of all of that. I will play any role you want me to, God. I am humbled that you even want me. I'm humbled that you died for me. I will do anything that you want me to do. Of course, thank you, God, for giving me this role. And thank you for caring so much that you believe that my husband should love me as you love the church. That's amazing. That should be our posture as women, one of gratitude, one of humility, one of wonder. As we look at how God set up these structures to reflect the gospel, that should be our attitude, not one of pride, not one of arrogance, not one of insistence on our own way, not one of trying to fit into the culture, but one of absolute awe that the God of the universe would have us play such a crucial role. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to save us. He didn't have to paint this beautiful picture of Christ in the church and marriage and Adam and Eve. He didn't have to do all that, but he did because he's a good and loving and faithful God. And if you are caught up, if you are caught up on these verses, if you are caught up in all of these um, feminists telling you that these verses should be thrown out because it's a part of the evil patriarchy, might I suggest, might I submit that you are holding on to an idol that you need to let go of. 
that it is actually idolatry that is telling you that in order to truly be a Christian or in order to truly love God or to truly be a part of the body of Christ, that you have to be in the same teaching authority as a man, I would let go of that idol. That would be my charge to you because, um, it's against God's word and God's word is bigger and better than all of us. And man or woman, we have to submit to it no matter what it says. So I hope that that answers a lot of your questions. I'm sure that there's so many more angles that we could talk through. There's a lot that we could talk about in that, but I at least wanted to give you a primer to help you understand where I'm coming from. I'm asked about this all the time and to give you the biblical foundation for what I believe about this, what God's word says. Uh, thanks for listening and I will see you next time. 